Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. My name is Matthew DeMello. I'm senior editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guests on the program are DLA Piper Chief Data Scientist Bennett Borden and Chair of DLA Piper's AI practice Danny Toby. DLA Piper is among the world's leading law firms. And as you'll be able to tell from Bennett and Danny's input today, they have some very interesting use cases at the cutting edge of AI applications in the legal realm. On today's episode, we'll be covering AI's impact on document management in the legal space. Stay tuned for a follow-up episode in the next few weeks where Bennett and Danny will return to talk about successful LLM use cases and where we see these AI capabilities going in the legal space over the next few years. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Thank you so much, Bennett and Danny, for being on the program this week. Absolutely, Matt. Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks, Matt. Good to be here. So just starting out with where we're looking at the legal field in terms of document management, I know a huge appeal for AI across so many industries, especially legacy, is this opportunity to take all kinds of unstructured data, and that can be documents, that can be also a lot of other things, and I, I'm sure we'll get into it, and transfer that, make that into an interface where uh, customers and employees can interact with that information in the digital realm. Tell us a little bit about how DLA Piper, especially your place on the legal sector as a legacy institution, and then where you guys have, have led the field in this way of pioneering AI document management. If we can start with maybe the business problems first, especially since you guys, it doesn't get much more legacy than you guys, of course. Uh, we'll start with Bennett. You know, it's such an interesting question about how we as lawyers gather, analyze, and deliver information. Right. If you think fundamentally what lawyers are, we are dealers in information. Uh, we, we, regardless of our practice area, we go and get information to understand what the issue is. We analyze that and leverage it and sprinkle in our legal acumen. And then we're always delivering some kind of information product, whether that's a transaction document or an argument in court. And so the way that we have managed that information has been very document centric because that's the only way you could do it. You had people writing stuff down on a piece of paper and then they were typing it and then they were word processing it. But the paradigm of we have to create our knowledge into some artifact has impacted how we govern and use that information. The nice thing about the continuing evolution of the information age is that that knowledge can be tracked in many different multimedia, much more three-dimensional ways. And so one of the things Danny and I are working on is how does this technology impact the practice of law, the creation of these information artifacts that we deliver? And so it's really interesting to watch how things like natural language processing and data science and generative AI specifically are starting to uncouple the artifact of information from our use of information. Right, right, right. I, I really appreciate right there before we get to Danny, uh, I, I, I really appreciate in your answer, you took it from the data perspective because in that way, a lawyer is not incredibly different from, from a data perspective than a bank teller. 
in terms of that dealer of information. Very, very jobs in terms of the training, et cetera. Everything from the front end we know culturally, but from a data perspective, those those roles are, are very, very, very similar in how they're handling data. Uh, Danny, anything to add there in terms of how DLA Piper is a, a approaching these problems, You know, knowing how they are as an organization with legacy systems and seeing the same challenges themselves? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's funny to think of us as a legacy uh, institution because we're we're really actually one of the younger law firms. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to sort of process that given our our size and our reach. But we are the product of a, a series of uh, thoughtful mergers over the last fifteen years or so uh, that that have put us into this position. So I actually still think of us as a fairly young and nimble law firm, uh, even though we're very large. I, I just feel that personally, you know, one of the ways I was recruited to DLA was uh, through their creativity and interest in data. And that was five years ago. Uh, but they came to me and said, you know, we love what you're doing with artificial intelligence and liability and the way that different uses of data are, are going to shift and challenge traditional liability structures out in the world. And we, we, we want to do more of that. And we want to think harder about how we use data. So uh, to, to me, it feels culturally very uh, in sync and, and part of a, an ongoing mm -hmm. process here. But, you know, just to zoom out, it's funny because lawyers in general as a profession are, are like the stodgiest dustiest people when it comes to data, right? Like we hyper curate everything. I mean, right. I, I was raised as a, a Texas state court trial litigator early in my career. And, you know, you can't say a word without it having been thought about and blessed and, and sorted and, 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 and uh, cited. And, you know, what the jury hears is carefully curated and, and we don't want them going out on the internet. Yeah. And, and so, to go from that, uh, from from this situation to the situation where you've got the universe of data and it's all being dumped in and it's all being uh, put through the blender and spit back out and you kind of don't know how you got from A to Z, it is a real mental shift. And and I think one of the fun things Bennett and I get to do is, is, is answer the question, how do you manage this? How do you bridge that gap? And and one of the things Bennett has done that is is so interesting is he's approached this problem almost more like a an engineer than a lawyer. Although he has the the, the added benefit of being a very sophisticated lawyer, he gets code. And and so we will take transactions that were done by humans, and we know them inside and out. And we will basically rerun them with testing pods using generative AI. And we'll compare and contrast, and we'll see where generative AI is good. We'll we'll see where it belly flops, and it's a it's a continuous process of figuring out where does this actually add value, and and where does it not, and how do we set the bumpers? For sure, I, I mean, even just taking a step back from your answer, you just meant you were mentioning you know the mergers that DLA Piper is kind of in this in this 
space of being both old and new thanks to those mergers. I think maybe a, a comparison, it's it's a little fresh uh, in financial services might be the merger we're seeing evolve. It's maybe like months or minutes old, minutes in the, in the financial services world. But Merrill Lynch and Bank of America and that old names and yes, legacy institutions, but the fact that they've, you know, combined uh, services very recently lets them become a new company and it is so much part of that new nimbleness. So just even really diving into the parts of your answer. But I, I also see the tea leaves of uh, of that in your own career, your position at DLA Piper, Danny, just in terms of your background in healthcare. Uh, and, you know, we've been talking uh, a little, you know, just right with the cro- immediate crossovers uh, in the legal sector, those adjacent spaces in healthcare, in uh, in in financial services. These are all sectors with a lot of paper um, trying to catch up. They also have, you know, expansive legal teams of which there are a lot of similar workflows. Even when they don't involve lawyers, they still have legal concerns. Uh, where do you see in terms of document management uh, management in the AI capabilities at the heart of these new technologies? How do you see uh, the transformation uh, playing out between not just legal, but those adjacent sectors, especially at DLA Piper, where, where you guys are, are very strongly related to those adjacent sectors? Sure. So, so healthcare is just a really good example of, of the larger issue you talk about, about how do you digitize a historic profession that, that's been around for centuries. Right. And healthcare, like some of the other industries that, that we're very buried in right now, but, uh, you know, they, they got there first. And, and healthcare had the benefit of the federal government saying, you guys have to digitize. Like, you, you, you know, no, enough with this binders of paper charts, uh, you know, <laughs> sit, sitting on a desk somewhere. You, you, you got to have right. electronic health records. And, you know, I mean, people can debate the, the philosophy of, of that sort of government mandate, but it did transform the industry. Maybe a lot of eggs were broken in, in making that omelet, but now you have this rich, rich store of healthcare data that is going to generate incredible good for society. I mean, we are everything from learning how proteins fold so that we can very quickly come up with new potential treatments or or repurposing of old treatments, all the way to gaps in continuity of care. Because first you had siloed paper healthcare systems, and, and then you had siloed electronic health record systems. And now you have mandates for interoperability and and rules from government agencies saying, no, you know, patients actually need to be able to get their data and, and in a form where they can give it to someone else pretty easily. And all of this is incredibly messy in the details. And we've lived it with our clients. I mean, we, we were on the front uh, lines of HIPAA and digitization, and we've been on the front lines of clinical decision support software and, and software as a medical device. And it really hard questions and, and a lot of risks and, and benefits to manage, but other industries like law can learn a lot because you can have all the data in the world, and as Bennett will explain better than I can, if it's not good data, you're, you're not helping things, you're hurting things. And the outputs you're spitting out are going to look and sound really good and send you in the exact wrong direction. And because it has the you know glossy shine of science, people don't always question it. They say, oh, well, the, this, this incredible machine learning algorithm looked at terabytes of data and said, this is what I should do. And it sees farther than I do and 
thinks harder than I do and, and knows more than I do. So who am I, you know, a mere doctor to, to override it? Uh, and it's very hard to know who's right in that scenario. So, uh, you know, I, I think we think very hard about that in, in the legal profession. What is the quality of our data? Uh, how do we clean it? How do we get the right data? Is, is more data better? Is a smaller set of more curated data better? That the answer is not always going to be the same. And then how do we meaningfully overlay human judgment to, to make sure that we're not just mm-hmm. sort of rotely following machine output, even when they're wrong? Um, and I'm sure Ben has a lot more to say about that, but it, it, I think we can learn from other industries in, in what we're doing in law. Indeed, indeed. I see him nodding a lot, too, so I want to give him a platform, even before I, I try to preface a question. Any reactions there, Bennett? Yeah, it's so interesting, not only in the practice of law, but in all these other professions. So where we're seeing AI and algorithmic decision-making hit in insurance, financial services, labor and employment, housing and healthcare. Those are kind of the big pillars that are developing regulation and rules around this the most. But it's stripping down what is our essential additive right? Like what do lawyers, what do we need lawyers to do? And what is it that machines could do better? And that's really a chaotic question when you bill by the hour, right? Right. Like, is it still true that the amount of time I spend on something is the best measure of its value? And so as we are bringing in this tech to our own firm and advising lots of clients on bringing tech, it's a whole reassessment of what is it that machines can do better? And what is it that's absolutely essential that humans do? And how do you piece those two things together in some kind of package that is a more good market sure. price? And so it's very interesting in the law, right? Because we're one of the few professions that still bill by the hour. And it causes you to ask new questions about how do we ascertain the value of a legal product or service. Indeed. Uh, I, I actually want to put a slight bookmark on on what you just said for our next episode, just in terms of how we're going to see those roles and workflows change in the whole legal profession, uh, you know, due to due to this technology. Only want to put a bookmark on it right there because I think it'll be a, a more substantive question to ask once we get into large language models, which is our next episode. Sticking to document management, uh, I just want to ask from your back background, Bennett, in the intelligence community, you probably have a completely different approach to things like compliance and anomaly detection, how to think of those things versus how the banking industry, for as many intelligence folks as they might hire, might look at the problems or how it looks to healthcare. Just from developing the, the solution from you know, the legal sector with, with all of its hands in those other sectors, how are you looking at that problem with your background? Yeah, it's such an interesting question because if you look at most of kind of the fraud detection, threat detection, anomaly detection systems, they have historically been based on structured data, right? Like transactions, amounts, right. financial statements, you know, the different expenses people have, bids, how that process works. Because the, the, we didn't have the technology to get into the unstructured data side, email, chats, those kinds of communications. But that's where most of the meat is about people. You know, what I worked on in the intelligence community was what can I tell about a person and a group of people in an organization based on the digital trail they leave behind? And where you get the most insight is when you have that transactional they were at this place, they pushed this button, they logged in here, key card swipes, 
cell phone tower data, right? With what they are saying about how they think, feel, or do. And the best threat detection systems are one that combine those two technologies. Now, the structured and the unstructured data technologies. And now what we're getting into with NLP, natural language processing capabilities, and this generative AI, and its ability to understand, or at least appear to understand, input, is we are getting a much richer, much more detailed view into those compliance issues. One of the things that I worked off my graduate thesis was all about, can you predict corporate misconduct? And of course you can. Like It's fairly easy to catch someone once they've done something wrong, right? Because it has impacts that you can measure. What's really fun is, can I tell when a person's about to do something wrong, right? Straight up minority report, right? But yeah, predictive compliance, you absolutely can, right? There are, there is a psychology behind wrongdoing. There is, uh, you can absolutely identify the factors that are most likely to create some kind of compliance issue. That's fairly straightforward. The really tricky part is what do you do about it? Right, because right. now Do you go. F- that's I, what I, Minority Report the movie is about. How far they took it, right? Not that they could do it. We right. always knew we'd get there, and so it it has all kinds of implications about labor and employment issues, fairness, accuracy, false positives and negatives, and so our ability to predict things is really, really good. Um, the weird, real questions then come in. Now, what do we do about it? And that's a really intriguing question in the compliance space. Of course. And even as you were giving your last answer, a lot of folks we've heard from in the banking sector, especially when they get into the kinds of signals they see on the anomaly detection side that are key to sanctions violations or you know, even in fraud detection in retail, you know, they'll start to describe the most organized networks as the James Bond villains, you know, not not to go to the pop culture patron saint of the intelligence community. But, you know, uh, it, it, it is interesting how much of those worlds, not even just banking, but retail are are encountering, you know, kind of the same workflows that we can in ways of looking at things that we see from the intelligence community. So very, very interesting stuff. Uh, we're going to hold it right there. We'll say to everybody uh, tuning into the show tune into the next episode to catch a developing conversation from here about how we see the roles in the legal profession changing vis-a-vis document management just thank you guys so much for being on the show this week and we're very excited to have you back shortly thanks very much pleasure wrapping up today's episode I actually wanted to put a finer point on the reverse black box problem that Danny was talking about halfway through the episode. And I think this is its own special kind of black box problem and something I colloquially refer to as a white box problem. And that's when folks encounter opaque systems that they don't understand, the misunderstanding is to the point where the user thinks the system is working appropriately and there's nothing wrong, but that's only because the system is so opaque that it's just good it's covering its tracks. And I think that's a completely different a priori type of problem 
when it comes to data management and it's something we need to think of as separately from black box problems and i think both danny and bennett's testimony on today's show give a lot of the reasons why we need to put these in two separate categories on behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge Technology Research, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.